So who's been there? Those moments in life when everything hits the fan and you go to God in desperate prayer. Who's been there? (laughs) I remember so clearly those moments in my life where the situation just wasn't good. Where desperate times called for desperate actions. And I remember particularly as a teen, I had these moments where I was having these crises of faith. And I remember one day it kind of all came to a head. And so I went and took a walk. It was pouring rain. And so I headed out for this walk. And, and it was a little bit one of these walks. Who's ever done the walk where you're kind of shaking your fists at the heavens? You know what I'm talking about? That kind of prayer. That kind of I'm mad at you God prayer. And I remember yelling at God. And I was all alone because nobody was. I was pouring rain. It was cold. It was like a late spring rain. And I was in this crisis of faith yelling at God. And in that moment, in that moment, God's grace and his mercy was so evident because he came and he spoke to me after I'd settled down a little bit, which is such tenderness and such grace that I didn't even deserve in that moment. But those are beautiful moments. But I want to put it to you today that those are not the most beautiful moments. I want to talk about something that that I believe if if you'll dig into this in your life, it's going to change something about the way that you journey with God. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask that you write this down. Write this down. The greatest crisis is when prayer is reserved for the crisis. The greatest crisis is when prayer is reserved for the crisis. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to me with me to Colossians 4, chapters 2 to 4. Um, for those of you that are new, we are going through a series called Colossians, the Wonder of the Gospel. And so for the, over the last season of the life of our community of faith here, we've been pressing into Colossians. So Colossians 4, we're going to go 2 to 4 today. It says this, Paul writes, Continue. Steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The word steadfastly here can also be translated devoted. Be devoted to prayer. These words, they create a picture of of this stubborn consistency that marks the life of a believer. We've coined this term uh, in in today's church, we call it our devotions. Devotions speak of, in, in part, of the spiritual disciplines of being in the word of God and being in prayer each day. You know, you'll hear people in the Christian faith, maybe you're here and you're exploring faith with us and and this is all new to you and, and you hear people talking about, I'm doing my devotions today. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about coming to God daily in prayer and opening the scriptures and, and, and reading from the scriptures. This week we, uh, we met as a men, we, 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 blah. we meet weekly as men, every Wednesday at 7.30 a.m. And so that's a little bit of a shameless plug. If you are a man and you want to either come together in prayer or you want to grow in prayer, we welcome you to come 7.30 every Wednesday morning. 
But we found ourselves this last week in, in some beautiful conversation at the end of our time together. And one of the things that came up was the fact that, that just as, as great as those gatherings are, those times of prayer together as men are, and they are, they're beautiful. They're not everything. As, as nice it is, it is, is to gather as the church, the body, as, as these men on a Wednesday, we came to the conclusion that it's just a supplement to our faith journey. It's just a supplement to our faith journey. Um, a supplement is a thing added to something else in order to complete or enhance it. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not. Pardon me, I have a cold, so I'm going to be drinking water today. I don't know if you know this or not, but what we're doing right now, you coming to a gathering of the church on a Sunday is just a supplement to your faith journey. I want you to imagine with me, if you went home and you emptied out your refrigerator and you got rid of all of your food and you donated your deep freeze to the community center, and you started just living on supplements, okay? You got rid of all your food and you just started popping pills, you know? I mean, some of you guys, you're, maybe you're already living on supplements, I don't know. <laughs> it wouldn't take long. It wouldn't take long before you would start withering away. <laughs> it wouldn't take long. I actually, I actually went online to, to, to look at if there's any studies around this, any things around this, and, and there's nothing really serious where they did trials, but experts will say, no, it just, it's not, those are micronutrients, you need macronutrients as well, and so you would wither away. You would end up, you would end up dying. Here's the deal, though. So many people come to Jesus, and they start attending church. And either over time, either they're not taught right in the beginning, or over time, we get lazy, and we start living this Christian faith like just popping supplements. We come to a Sunday service, we pop a supplement. We go to a community group, we pop a supplement. We watch a preacher on TV, we pop a supplement. And we're wasting away spiritually. We're literally dying spiritually. This is supplemental to the main thing, to the main meal, to the meat and potatoes of you being in prayer, of you being in the word of God, of you learning the daily disciplines of having relationship with a God that you cannot see. And we're going to talk about that today. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul reminds the church to be engaged in prayer every day. So, so what are the barriers why, why do we find this so difficult? Well, there's a couple of barriers, and there's, this is not comprehensive, but I want to talk about two things that, that I believe kind of stand in our way to some degree. 
And I hope this is helpful to you. The, the first is this. The first is guilt. Guilt. Oftentimes when I talk to people and as I look at my own life, it's guilt that stood in the way as a barrier to my life of prayer. My life of prayer each and every day. Because none of us walk out a perfect walk of faith in Jesus. So, so we can have this ideal that in order to come before a perfect God, we have to get it all together. And, and, and you know what? It's funny. Me as a pastor, I mean, I preach the grace of God and the mercy of God all the time. And yet I still wrestle with this thought that if I had a bad week, I can't just come to God. I need to deal with my stuff first. It's this feeling of not being worthy enough. We did something and, 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 and it reboots the cycle of feeling that guilt and that shame. And this is theologically so wrong. This is not what scripture teaches about prayer and access to God. And here's the deal and here's what I'd like to ask you to do today. Because we can, we can, I, I'm going to preach it again and I'm going to say it again and I'm going to hold up a proper theology again to you. But it's not until you allow the spirit of truth who's living and active with us right now, you allow him to convince you of this. That in Jesus Christ you have been made worthy to come boldly into the throne room of grace. The U version Bible app on your phone. I don't know if you if you've downloaded if you use it, um, but they have a verse of the day every uh, every day, and uh, the verse of the day on Wednesday this week was found in Hebrews four sixteen, and it said this: "Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help." In time of need. I want you to notice something about the order in which these things come. It says that we may receive a beating for our sins. That, that, that we may receive a good talking to. That, that we may receive rejection. Here's the deal. We are all painfully aware of our shortcomings. All of us. We have to live with ourselves. We're all painfully aware of our shortcomings. But for someone here today, you need to hear this. There is no barrier in your way to the throne room of grace if you're in Christ Jesus. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy precedes grace. You can come confidently each day to God in prayer, whatever the situation of your life and the situation of your soul. You can come to God in prayer. Mercy precedes grace. And this is the main meal, what we do here today. This is just a supplement to tomorrow's time in the presence of God. 
in Tuesday's time in the presence of God and Wednesday's time in the presence of God. Opening up the scriptures and taking time to speak to him and hear from him. That's the main meal. That's the meat and potatoes. And for some of you, you're dying. You're dying. You're wasting away spiritually because you're, you're relying on this moment to feed you. This moment was never meant to feed you. This is just a supplement. You say, Lucas, I'm not worthy. That's the point. That's the point. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. But I've been made worthy in Christ Jesus. You've been made worthy in Christ Jesus. And so there's no barrier. There's nothing in the way. I don't care how bad your week was. I don't, know how, I don't care how dirty your soul is right now. In Christ Jesus, there's no barrier. In Christ Jesus, you come to the throne room of grace and there's mercy and there's grace. And yes, the Holy Spirit will walk you in a, a journey of repentance. He'll walk you in a way. But here's the deal. So many of us allow guilt and shame to stand in the way so long. That the crisis of faith, the crisis of the world, the crises of life just grow and become exponentially larger and greater because we're not coming into that presence of God daily. God's calling us to something more today. The greatest crisis is when prayer is reserved for the crisis. But here's the kicker. It's often letting those barriers stand in our way that leads us to the crisis in the first place. R.C. Lucas, he says this, it is in a prayerless church that the enemy can best do his work of disruption. And I would take it a step further and say it's in a prayerless life that the enemy can best do his work of disruption. Don't let guilt stand in the way of approaching God in prayer because the very thing you need to overcome, the shortcomings of your life, the, the things that you need to overcome those are found in the presence of Jesus. They're found in the presence of God. So what do we do about it? Well, I said there's two factors that I want to cover. The second factor, the second barriers are habits. How many know that the brain... The brain loves to make shortcuts in everything that we do. When you got in your car this morning, did you have to really ponder and think about the procedure for starting your car and getting going? Did, did you have to sit there and kind of go through the list and the progression? You did not, because you've done it so many times, and the brain is all about making shortcuts. Every single habit you have in your life is your brain creating shortcuts. So you don't have to think about it. So you don't have to waste cognitive abilities in the prefrontal cortex where you make logical decisions. It wants to shortcut all of that as quickly as possible. And so when we begin to understand the power of habit and the way habits are formed, we, we, can, take that, we can take that science and we can apply it to our faith. How many of you know science and faith can go together? I'm just saying. If 
Philippa Lally is a, is a health a psychologist researcher at University College London. And in a study, study published in the European Journal of Social Psychology, her and her team found this, and, and it's, it'll be up on the screen. On average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic. 66 days to be exact. On average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic. 66 days to be exact. Now, this may not sound very spiritual, but this is a factor that we can't ignore. Prayer, Bible reading, meditation, rest, and Sabbath are all forms of spiritual disciplines that we could call spiritual habits. And our society has sold us this lie of quick fixes and convenient solutions. Here's the truth of life. Anything important in life does not have a quick fix or a convenient solution. Can I just share that with you? If it's important, it's going to take work. And it's going to take strategy. And it's going to take being intentional. There are no shortcuts. And for some, maybe you're like me for, for years. Just as I reflected on my spiritual journey. I, I want to just address something that, that I just noticed in my own life. For years I was waiting for this magic bullet where God was, would just come and do something radical in my life and just change everything. And that I would become a consistent person of devotion out of this one-time event and experience with the Holy Spirit and this experience with God. Can I just say that day isn't coming? That day isn't coming. And if it does, here's the problem. If it does, usually that day comes when you're at the bottom of the pit and you got no way out. But the problem with prayer life found in crisis is often the prayer life that you find in crisis only lasts until the conclusion of that crisis. On average, 66 days to form a new habit. So what can we do to walk this thing out? I want to give you five practical steps. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Five practical steps to being steadfast in your prayer life every day. Step number one, write it down. Write it down. Write down the habit you wish to pursue. This is the goal. Don't just think it. I know, I know so many of you, you're like me. You say, I'm just going to, okay, I'm, I'm just going to willpower and think it. No, write it down. Have some clarity to your goal. Be specific. Write it down. Step number two, make it manageable. Make it manageable. This is my issue. I would read about these heroes of faith. You know, I'd read about the the Wigglesworths, and, the, and, and, and I would see that they spent like 28 hours a day in prayer. Because they were men of faith, they added time to the clock. Right? You know, they wake up and they spend like five hours in the morning in prayer, just on their knees before God. 
And I'd be inspired to pray. And so I think, you know what? I'm going to follow in that pattern. Well, guess what? That lasted a day. That lasted a day. Don't have dumb goals, church. Make it manageable. Here's the deal. Start with 10 minutes. Maybe for some of you, 10 minutes isn't manageable. Then start with five minutes. And maybe for some of you, five minutes is just not manageable. Start with one minute. And here's the deal. If you start doing one minute of prayer each day, don't begrudge yourself for it. Because if you were not praying consistently every day before that, guess what? Celebrate that you're praying one minute more each day than you were praying before. Celebrate it. But make it manageable. Number three, write this down. Tell someone. Tell someone. Invite another human being into your goal. Because accountability, I mean, studies will show if you don't tell someone, if you don't invite another person relationally into that goal for accountability and for support and for encouragement and for feedback, guess what? It's not going to happen. For those of you that are new to Evangel Church, we say it all the time here, you were made for community. This faith journey was meant to be done in community. It's meant to be done shoulder to shoulder, face to face with other human beings. So tell someone. Invite them into the journey and give them permission to hold you accountable to that journey. Tell someone. Number four. Plan your habit loop. Plan your habit loop. The Habit Loop was brought to my attention by a book I read by uh, Charles Duhigg, the, the author of The Power of Habit. Fantastic book if you want to look into the science and the psychology of habits. Uh, I highly recommend it. And it looks like this. Cue, craving, response, reward. I think I have a, a, a diagram up there. Cue, craving, response, reward. So, so here's an example of this cycle at work in your life. I, I, I'm, I'm going to just guess this is at work in your life because it is in mine. Your phone buzzes. Right? That's the cue. You want to know who texted you or who liked your selfie. Right? That becomes the craving. For some of you, when that thing buzzes, you, you just, it instantly just ignites a craving in you. You want to see what does that text message say? Who liked my selfie? So you check your notifications or you read your text messages. That's the response. You satisfy the craving to look at your phone and so you read it. And it fulfills that craving. And that associates in your brain to the cue of the buzzing of your phone. And so the cycle just progresses. And after a while, you become that person. You know the person. You're all judging the person. You probably are the person. It's in the middle of a conversation, and you can't help but look at your phone. Right? I'm that person. 
I have to be, I have to be very, very cognitively aware of the situation I'm in. Otherwise, I will very easily just shortcut my brain to grab my phone, pull it out, and look at it with someone sitting face-to-face right across from me. Cue, craving, response, reward. Understanding this can help us begin to be strategic and intentional about creating good habits in our lives. The habits of prayer, the habits of being in the Word of God. But here's the key. If you want to make this work for you, the reward needs to be sufficient enough and the cue needs to be clear. The reward needs to be sufficient enough and the cue needs to be clear. Perhaps you're a morning person. Your cue could be waking up. You wake up. That's your cue. If you're like the vast majority of people, your craving could be looking at your notifications on your phone. How many would be brave enough to just put their hands up to that? So that, in turn, could become your reward. It could become your reward. Because it's already existing in your life. It's already there. And so your reward could be checking the notifications. So your response in order to check your notifications can be one minute in prayer. One minute in prayer. Three minutes in prayer. Five minutes in prayer. Ten minutes in prayer. Make sure your cue is clear. Whatever that may be, maybe it's sitting down for lunch on your lunch break. Make sure your cue is clear and make sure your reward is sufficient enough. Write it down, make it manageable, invite another human being into the goal, plan your habit loop, and then number five, do it for 66 days. Do it for 66 days. Because the greatest crisis, the greatest crisis is when prayer is reserved for the crisis. So take the next steps and make prayer, conversation with God, a part of your everyday. But Paul goes on in verse 3, and and this, if you've never noticed it before, I'd never noticed this before. This shifted something in me this week as I was preparing for this message, and I believe this is going to shift something in you as well. He goes on in verse 3, Colossians 4. He says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account for which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul, if you remember, had this experience. And some of you would know the story. For those of you that don't, he's in prison and they together begin to worship God. They begin to worship. And this earthquake comes and releases them. But here, here, here's Paul writing this letter to the Colossians, prison, prisoner in Rome. And Paul's plea, with faith, could have been, pray that I be released from this prison. Pray that I be released from this prison. But instead, he asks the Colossian church to pray 
that he would continue to be effective in his sharing the gospel. I want you to notice that. Instead of praying for release, he's praying that he would continue to be effective in sharing the gospel. Talk about a man of laser focus on, on that calling and that mission. And here's a lesson for us. William Barclay, he says this. He makes this observation. When we pray for ourselves and for others, we should ask not for release from any task, but rather for strength to complete the task which has been given to us to do. Prayer should always be for power and seldom for release. For conquest, not release, must be the keynote of the Christian life. Think that through for a moment. R.C. Lucas, he, he, he says it this way, and I'm paraphrasing, that instead of Paul asking for open doors to the prison, he asks for open doors to the gospel. You see the power in being a person of prayer. When we only pray in crisis, it's for release from that crisis that we pray. But as we mature in prayer, as we take that journey of looking more and more like Jesus each day, and we move beyond just the crisis, we become focused on the mission, despite our circumstances. And we stop praying for release from crisis, and rather we begin to pray for strength to walk through it. Not only to walk through it for ourselves, but to walk through it in power and with an attitude that reveals God the Father's heart. Shift something in the way that we pray. This is the power of being sold out to a mission and a vision for your life that is bigger than just you, or your family, or your immediate community. This is the power of prayer. This is what prayer does deep within us. As much as it is about what God is doing and coming into agreement, it's about that deep work of God in you. This week I was listening to uh, Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast, and he was interviewing, interviewing Luis Pablo. Paulo, Luis Paulo. Um, Luis Paulo is an evangelist that got his start both both through mentoring as well as financial seed money from Billy Graham. He was good friends with Billy Graham. And he got his start through mentoring and, and the release of, of Billy Graham organization. And what a pleasure to listen to him talk about life and ministry. Because just, just, just under a year and a, a half ago or so, he went into his doctor, I believe it was December 22nd, and his doctor told him, you have stage four lung cancer. And uh, as he's telling this story, I mean, he's, I mean you got to hear the interview. He's so full of life. And he kind of jokes with the doctor, like, what happened to stage, you know, one through three? Um, stage four lung cancer. You got, you got a year to live. And you know what's interesting about these people? who have learned to be in the presence of Jesus, is there's just something different about them. So he's given this death sentence. And what's he doing? A year and four months later, he's still proclaiming the gospel. 
He's still doing interviews. He's still laser-focused, despite his circumstances, despite the prognosis, despite all of it, he's still laser-focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ impacting the world. There's something about people that know the presence of Jesus. They're different. And that's what God is calling us to, this deep work of knowing Christ and not always coming to him to be released from the struggle and the pain, but rather to be strengthened to endure it, not just for themselves, not just for their families, not just for their community of faith, not just for their community but for this world to see a God who overcomes all things. It was interesting. As he was telling his story, he said this, I've learned to live day by day. I've learned to live day by day, which is the way that the scriptures call us to live anyway. Day by day. Instead of looking for the exits, he's looking for the lessons and the deep work of the Spirit in his life. What a powerful reminder that we aren't promised tomorrow and that prayer is about engaging God's grace and his many mercies for today. When we begin to look at life through that filter, it begins to shrink the crisis looming over tomorrow. How many of you have a crisis looming over tomorrow? It's distracting you, even right now. And it looms over tomorrow. And yet God calls us to engage with him in his presence today. To find mercy and to find grace. To find strength to endure. That's the power of prayer. The greatest crisis is when prayer is reserved for the crisis, but that can change. I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this time. As we were reminded in that video celebrating 100 years as a fellowship, the heroes of faith, they said something along these lines. The heroes of faith are not just these special people. We, we always think of those that we see and we kind of put up on a pedestal within this faith journey, within the church, and we see them, and we kind of see them kind of near the end of their progression of that walk of faith, and we, we hold them up as something special. Especially in our culture today, we have such a culture of celebrity. You know what I'm talking about? We hold them up like they're... Here's the deal, and here's, here's what you need to know about this journey of faith. You look at Scripture, you read Scripture. Jesus did not choose the elite people. <laughs> he did not choose special people to carry out this work of the ministry that he was calling them to. He found ordinary people. And he impacted them in a deep way. And these ordinary people began to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Do you want to be effective in the kingdom of God? 
then spend time with God. Because we're all doing so much. Doing, 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 doing. It's not going to get it done. What's going to get it done is a church and individuals who begin on the Monday to spend time in the presence of God, spend time in the word of God. What's going to get it done is individuals making that decision, doing it in community, strengthened by one another. And as God impacts us, we impact the world. As God changes us, he uses us in the process of his spirit already changing the world. That's the power of prayer. That's the power of being steadfast in prayer because it's not about an action. It's about not about another thing to do on your list. It's about being in communion, in, in relationship, in conversation with a living God that wants to do something deep in you. And if it starts with one minute a day, start with one minute a day and celebrate your time with God. Write it down. Make it manageable. Invite other human beings into your journey. Plan the habit loop and do it for 66 days. And stop praying for release. Start praying for strength. Stop praying for release. And start praying for clarity around what God is doing deep within you, even in the midst of the crisis and the pain. What a powerful shift. What a powerful life when we begin to engage a powerful God this way. These are those who we look to and call heroes of faith. It started with a shift in attitude and perspective and a steadfastness in prayer. God is calling the hero of faith in you. He's calling out the hero of faith in you. And it's going to be hard work. And there's no easy fixes. And there's no magic bullet. But God is ready to take you on a journey of shifting something in you. Not for your glory. Not for your glory. Not for your story but for his. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? And would you convince us of this?
that this would be more than just sitting under a sermon and hearing concepts and words, but that, Lord, you would take your word, which you have promised and you have told us is living and active, and that you would do something deep within us by your spirit. Would you convince us of our need to be in the presence of Almighty God? Would you convince us that Jesus' blood has removed every single barrier from walking into the throne room of grace boldly before a God who loves you, before a God who loves us? May we be convinced, Lord God, that shame would no longer be a barrier from our daily activity of prayer. Would you convince us, Lord, Would you help us, Lord Jesus, to create new habits in our lives, spiritual habits, habits that feed us the meat and potatoes of this walk of faith, that we would no longer be those that are just supplementing with church. But that we would grow in strength and in faith, that we might be the church that is effective, and going to all the world and preaching the gospel. Convince us, Lord God. Convince us, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. And may our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, our Thursday, our Friday, our Saturday, and then our Sunday to celebrate again never be the same. In your name, amen.